Welcome to our 10th episode of Two Tankers and a Cat. We are your hosts, I'm Charlie. And I'm Russell. And yes, lightning is here. Uh, Russ, how do you keep this cat under control? I really don't, to be honest with you. She does her own thing, and she's usually in the wrong places at the wrong time, most of the time throughout the day. Well, when we were doing our pre-setup, uh, the the wonderful little kitty has been jumping all over. So if you're listening and you hear a big thump or you hear, you know, meows, it's going to be her. Yes, it will. She is in that kind of a mood today for some reason. Now, Russ, um, I know we've got some new platforms that people can listen to us. Um, give some of our, some of our information. Yeah, uh, start off by kind of talking about our new website. I'm hoping that some of you have found it by now. Um, I've put the link and everything on our Facebook page. And the actual website address is www.twotankersandcat.com. Pretty much got all the information that you need to either get a hold of us or get to any of the platforms that we are available on. Now, uh, on the on our website, the twotankersandcat.com, can people donate there now? Yes. Um, we do have a PayPal link on that page. Uh, scroll down a little bit and you'll see it off to the right-hand side of the page. Uh, you click on that link and you're able to donate any any amount of money you would like to to, to help offset our server and bandwidth costs of, of the podcast. It does cost us a little bit to put this out every month and... And any help would be appreciated. We really uh, appreciate any help. Um, if you're a new, new listener and you'd like to uh, donate, but you're wondering what we're using it for, um, Russ has just, well, is about to upgrade to uh, fiber optic cable. Yes, very excited about that. <laughs> Beats cable. I will take gigabit speeds any day over the piddly little 300 megabits per second i've had for the last several years nice when you're out there on the interweb or whatever you want to call it um please hit the like and share on our facebook page yes that is very very helpful in in getting our name out there and and also um, any comments that you can make will actually get our page out there too on any of the stuff that we post and and all that so yeah just give us a like on our facebook page and in any other platform that we're on and help get our name out there so we can grow now you were talking about platforms what are some of our new platforms uh, a couple of the newest ones um that we're now available on is the stitcher app done that probably just within the last week or so 
Uh, you can also find us on Spotify, on the Spotify app and, and their website. A couple of the bigger names there, so hopefully that'll... So we're on all major podcasts right oh, by now. yeah, yeah, we're on all the major platforms that, that, that actually accepts podcasts now. Now, if any of our listeners don't like any of those and you have a particular one that we're not on, message us uh, on Facebook or wherever you want to message us. Uh, you can even call us. Our phone number is still on the Facebook page, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's actually it's on the Facebook page, and you can find that in our contacts on our on our new website at the bottom of that website. That's down there at the bottom. So I do want to mention too uh, that on the bo- at the bottom of the website, um, I know that's been mentioned in the past that people may want to send us some stuff or something for maybe lightening our mascot at the bottom of our new website you can also find our uh mailing address too yeah believe it or not uh russ is uh mother had actually taught him how to make poof balls for cats uh it's on a string and we can and lightning loves them but any other toys that he gets she tears them apart oh yeah it doesn't they don't last long she just enjoys playing like crazy and no offense I, i'd like some of our Listeners to send some of them that uh, unusual cat treats from all over the world. Uh, I saw some of them Japanese uh, cat treats. They're in the form of little Pokemon, like the Pikachu. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow, that's neat. That's great. Uh, what are we talking about today? Well, today we are going to talk about how were tanks used during the Vietnam War. There wasn't tanks in the Vietnam. I know. That's probably what a lot of people think out there. But uh, we're going to have a little history lesson today about tanks were used in the Vietnam War, believe it or not. Well, was there any tank-to-tank fights? Uh, Yes, there was one tank-to-tank battle that we will speak of. All right, great. During our podcast here. And and stay tuned because it's kind of exciting the way it came about and... And we will definitely talk about that here in a few minutes. Uh, Both sides of the Vietnam War used tanks, not nearly as many as in World War II, but the number of the tanks used in Vietnam was considerable. Uh, Only a handful of tanks were used, and this may be because of the terrain, which was often just jungle interwoven with many rivers and swamps. Yeah, I don't see the Abrams being able to run run through the jungle pretty quick. That is true. The U.S. Army deployed three tank battalions to Vietnam. The 2nd Battalion, 34th Armored to 3 Corps. The 1st Battalion, 69th Armored to 2 Corps. And the 1st Battalion, 77th Armor to 1 Corps. Uh, Company D, 16th Armor. And they were outfitted with the M56 Scorpion uh, self-propelled 90mm anti-tank guns. Now, for our World of Tank players... Uh, our digital warriors like I, like me and Russ are. Uh, one of our favorite uh, American premium ta- uh, tank destroyer tanks is the M56 Scorpion self-propelled. Yeah. And that had, it was just basically just, what, a, a body and a tank on it. Yeah, or yeah. A, a they are, they're very interesting uh, tank destroyers, to be honest with you. We've you, actually seen a couple of Do you think museums. we can put a picture of a scorpion? Oh, simply, yeah. We can do that, no problem at all. Like yeah. I said, we've seen a couple of them at some couple of different museums we've been to. and Really get, neat little tank destroyers. If you get a chance, go check out the M56 Scorpion. You'll see why I, I'm so 
fascinated by this tank. Yeah, they are neat. Uh, with each of its two divisions, the U.S. Marine Corps deployed a tank battalion equipped with the M48A3 Patton tanks, an anti-tank battalion equipped with Ontos self-propelled guns, each with six 106-millimeter recoilless rifles. And if you've never seen a picture of the Ontos, I... I I'll probably actually put one on Facebook whenever we release this podcast, but they are pretty sweet. I haven't seen those either. With these six rifles coming out of the the front of this self-propelled gun, it, really, it is incredible. Yeah, I'll have to see that. Yeah, please yeah. put that up. And they also had an, the Marine Corps also had an amphibious tractor battalion that went to Vietnam. So we will kind of get in now to the tanks that were used by the Americans in the Vietnam War. The Americans mainly used the M48 Patton, American medium tank. Prior to its Vietnam deployment, the 169th Armored Division had uh, traded in its gas-guzzling M48A2 tanks for the somewhat upgraded M48A3 vehicles. The A3s were a distinct improvement over the A2s, the addition of an economical and much safer v12 diesel power plant that gave the a3 increased horsepower also gave it a over 310 miles range on the roads and some 230 mile range cross country so they were tired of the gas guzzlers even back in the 60s and 70s Uh, most important to the crews was that the a3's diesel fuel tanks um, did not explode violently when penetrated by enemy fire a long-standing problem with the gasoline-powered U.S. tanks. I still say that's a myth. Yeah, I know. You, we've talked about that before, and everybody and, and we'll get into it more probably in future podcasts or something like that. But yeah, I keep telling everybody we're going to do the M4 episode. Let's try and do it like the first part of April. Yeah, um, that sounds like a fair because time period. A lot of people are going to go. Wait a minute. What are you saying? The M4 was it a didn't catch fire? And I'm like, yeah, I am saying the M4 was the best, the best on the Western Front. Yep. And we will definitely get into that. And and I'm I'm excited to hear what what we can come up with all that. And, oh, we're going to get so research. much hate mail. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, you can, you can contact us there on our on our website. You know. <laughs> and tell me I'm and, and, and I'm direct gonna... all your hate mail to Charlie. Yeah, because I will. I will definitely try to convince you that the M4 was the best <laughs> on the Western Front, the best tank. Okay, let's get back to the patent. Um, similarly, the uh, elliptical hull of the M48 patent provided outstanding protection um, from mine explosions, artillery, and small small arms fire, with a few exceptions. Vietnam tank crews would uh, survive even large mine incidents thanks to the robust M48 patents. Additional upgrades included the new ANVRC 12 series radios and a xenon searchlight. So that was a few, couple of the upgrades to, um, from the A2s to the A3 versions. Now that xenon searchlight, that's the big searchlight that was on the gun barrel? Yeah, that was out front on the on the turret itself. Yes, that was one of the major additions that they that they put on the A3 version. The M48 A3's 90 millimeter cannon and its broad range of available ammunition types 
was the major reason the M48s were sent to Vietnam rather than the later M60 series. So that's why. Because yep. the M60 had the big 100... 105 millimeter. 105. Cannon, yeah. And the 90 could use a whole bunch of different ammo. Yeah, they had a lot of different available ammunition types um, for the 90 millimeter gun. We'll get it. we'll get into get into the ammunition ammunition uh, choices. The 90 millimeter came with a variety of ammunition choices uh, that provide critical in the Vietnam combat. Uh, tankers could draw on the devastating canister round for use in thick jungle and wooded areas. High explosive or the HEP for taking out bunkers and structures of all types. The HE and HE delay rounds for use against personnel and fortifications. The white phosphorus or the WP rounds for marking targets and for use against personnel. And they also use some of the heat rounds for uh, against other tanks and, and fortifications. The normal basic load for 1966 through 1968 tankers might include equal number of canisters of the HE and a white phosphorus HEP mix. Later loads would include heat rounds due to the introduction of armored vehicles by the North Vietnamese forces in the tri-border areas of operation. And when they're talking tri-border, they're talking about uh, Laos and Cambodia and North Vietnam, right? Yes, that's the tri-border area. Yeah, we'll, okay. we'll talk about that a little bit later. And precluding the use of the M60 tanks in Vietnam was the lack of HE and canister rounds for the M60s. 105 millimeter tank gun so that is the main reason that you did not see hardly any m60 tanks in in the vietnam war now i know we're going to do an episode probably way in the future on the m60 so basically the m60 was a cold war tank yes that is correct that, that is what are they that's what they considered that tank during that time period the, our cold war and they were used a lot in you know the border with Europe and, and Russia. So the, uh, more of an Iron Curtain tank. Yes. Okay, yes. okay, that makes yeah. sense. So the M48 Patton, and the reason I went into that much detail about that particular tank is because that was the main one that was used um, by American troops in the Vietnam War. Nice. The Americans also used the M551 Sheridan, which is an American light air assault amphibian tank. And believe it or not, they used a few or a handful of the Sherman M4A3s through the M4A6s. Now, again, for our uh, World of Tank digital players, uh, they're like, the Sheridan? And we're like, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen the picture of the Sheridan, its gun is just ridiculous. Um, yeah, we'll have huge. to do an episode on the episode. We'll have to do an episode on the Sheridan. Uh, that yes, gun That gun is just the weirdest looking gun. <laughs> uh, me and Russ have been down to uh, Fort Hood, and there's actually a picture of me sticking my fist down the barrel of the, the Sheridan. Now, that's on the American side. I know the Australians were helping us quite a bit. What the Australians have? Yeah, the Australian Task Force, they actually sent an armored cavalry squadron to help out the Americans in South Vietnam during the Vietnam War. The main tank that they sent to Vietnam was the, their Centurion, which was the main battle tank. Now, isn't the Centurion was the one that me and you drove up to the guy's house and he had it in his driveway 
Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Now that you mention that, I think that's what that one was. And people, if you want to know about that story, I'll make it really quick. Me and Russ were in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we were driving around, and we had had uh, reports that there was a Centurion tank that we would go look at. And we actually drove up, and it was a rough part of Tulsa, I would say. Tulsa that you'd probably be wanting to be in a tank. <laughs> yeah. But uh, next thing we know, we're driving on this gravel road, and Russ is like, hey, I think we're not supposed to be here. We'll turn around up here. And there's the Centurion tank sitting up there. And I'm like, it's next to a Tulsa uh, canine car, wasn't it? So we're out there taking pictures, and all of a sudden, here comes this guy coming out in a uniform. He's a Tulsa uh, canine and bomb squad member <laughs> and he's like uh guys what are you doing could you believe that we're just two fat cops and we're just here to look at your tank <laughs> but that's the end of that story go ahead yeah that's another <laughs> that's another, another deal one. that charlie uh, wrangled me into there yeah. believe it or not yeah the south vietnamese they actually originally were equipped with some armored cars and armored personnel carriers but by about 1974 south vietnamese forces had in each of the four core tactical zones in South Vietnam, they had an armor brigade consisting of four or five armored cavalry units and a tank battalion. And the main tanks that they used were light tanks, the M41 Walker Bulldogs. What about the North Vietnamese? What'd they have? The North Vietnamese Army, the NVA, received a large number of tanks from Communist China and the Soviet Union. In 1960, the first 35 T-34-85 tanks arrived in North Vietnam and were assigned to the 202nd Armored Regiment. I can't wait till we do an episode on the T-34-85. Yeah, that's one of my favorite I, I love that. Soviet tanks, yeah. I don't like the T-34, don't like the KV-1, don't like the IS-2, but that T-34-85. Yeah, yeah. it's a neat little tank. And this particular armored regiment, further equipped with the PT-76 light tanks, which only weighed about 14 tons and were amphibious. The ability to cross rivers and canals um, would make the PT-76 light tanks specially valuable weapons in the lowlands of South Vietnam. So you're saying these PT-76 were, you know, they floated? Yeah, they, they, they turned into a boat, believe it or not. Huh. And we will probably talk about those in a future episode, too. Yeah, we will definitely talk about those after seeing some pictures of them and doing some research on them. And now, they called that a tank. Was that actually an armored personnel carrier? I think later on they made them into a personnel carrier. But at that point, it was their tank. But at this point, these were their light tanks, yes. Okay. And it, it, it would actually become a standard reconnaissance tank um, of the Soviet Army and other war-packed armed forces. So those particular tanks that the Soviets got to the North Vietnamese, they were actually exported by the Soviets to other friendly states like India, Iraq, Syria, North Korea, and North Vietnam. India gets along with everybody. Yeah, they do. Uh, and we do love our Indian listeners. Yeah. Yeah, if we have anybody from India out there, um, let us know about your... Uh, I've come across some information on a uh, museum that you have there with some tanks in it. India has a tank museum? They have a tank museum. That, uh, if that you guys know across. about this museum, definitely send us. We, if anybody's been there or taken any pictures, let us know. We beg my daughter who works for the airlines for free tickets to India so we can see tanks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the uh, PT-76 light tank, 
it actually had a 76.2 millimeter uh, rifled tank gun on it. wasn't a huge gun, but it it did what it was supposed to do. Now the 76, uh, I have no problems with uh, a high velocity 76. I'll go through a tiger tank. Um, so yeah, the PT 76 that was the North Vietnamese's main main reconnaissance type tank. They also had Type 59 um, Chinese main battle tanks. They had some Type 62 Chinese light tanks. And they had some Type 63 Chinese light amphibious tanks that they used to. They have Type 59s. And and if you're a World of Tank player, you know how rare the Type 59 is. I've got one. Do you got one in your account? I don't believe I have a Type 59. You're not missing much. In my account, yeah. They they called it the hype fifty nine. <laughs> well, let's get into the tanks in the jungle. How were they used? I want to go into an article. A lot of this, what I used for what I'll be talking about, um, came from an article from the Armor Journal, uh, dated May through June of nineteen ninety seven, um, pages twenty four through thirty, and it was an article titled "Vietnam Tankers War" with a question mark, and it was by Lieutenant Colonel Jim Walker. You mean Jimmy Walker? I am not sure if it's the same one or not. <laughs> Dynamite. Yeah. Oh, goofball. Yeah. No, I'm sure it wasn't that same Jim Walker. I didn't know what you were talking about. Yeah, now I do. Now you know where my train of thought is at. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Back to the Vietnam War. There were many unforeseen needs which arose in Vietnam, uh, especially with units operating in the dense highlands, jungles. Enemy contact in these close confines was generally about 50 meters or less. Survival required violent, overpowering fire and maneuver to meeting engagements and ambush. Uh, Basic loads on a tank during that particular time frame were augmented with additional quantities of ammunition for the coax, 50s, and individual weapons along with M72 laws. Huge quantities of hand grenades, C4 plastic explosives, and flares. So, as you can see, they they added a quite a bit of smaller the secondary, firepower. The secondary, yeah. secondary ammunition. If yeah. um, if you don't know what the M72 law is, it's actually uh, stands for light anti-tank weapon. It was a disposable um, uh, bazooka, basically. You could separate, or you could open it up. And the sights would pop up, and you could shoot it. It was a one-shot deal. Now, what would a typical company carry? Typical A-company tank might carry over 20,000 rounds of the 7.62-millimeter ammo for the coax guns, about 1,000 rounds for the 50-caliber guns, and another 5,000 rounds of 45-caliber ball ammunition um, for the M3 submachine guns and, and pistols. Wow. So as you see, they they mainly used. It looks like they mainly used the uh, smaller caliber guns because of the type of combat they seen in the jungles. Right. Well, like you said, they weren't seeing a lot of tank versus tank. Yeah. But they yeah. were seeing a lot of infantry and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Like they said, within about fifty meters was your contact. So I mean, that was that was huge. They could give me about 5,000 rounds of that 45 ball ammo. I'd take that for my 45. Jungle operations also required numerous on-the-spot modifications to the tanks. Uh, the fenders, front and rear, for instance, would invariably become bent or torn as a result of tree branches rolling up under them. 
often resulting in a thrown track or actual stoppage of the tank. So they would have to modify those fenders to keep that from happening. Or take them off. Or take them off, yeah. Fenders were, yeah, were pretty much detached from new arrivals and otherwise cut away as required. As a defensive tactic, uh, track blocks were hung from turret handrails. Turrets were sandbagged like high-riding bunkers against RPGs. Uh, Airport runway PSB strips were hung over the running gear as protective skirts. And rolls of chain-link fence were carried for use as protective screens. Wow. So So they, they would use anything at their disposal to... So basically, they're worried about RPGs. And again, if you don't know what an RPG is, it was a, uh, a bazooka-type weapon. It's called a rocket-propelled grenade. And uh, most people know what these look like. But if you don't know, um, look at like Soviet Union RPG and you'll see it. It's Yeah, good. look it up on YouTube. I'll guarantee you. It's find cool looking. Yeah. The most critical long-term problem encountered at all levels by the 169th Armored Tankers uh, was the scarcity of replacement parts from road wheel arms to machine gun backplates and electrical firing solenoids the basic army tank inventory was in transition during the mid-1960s from the m48 series of tanks to the newer m60 series of tanks and accordingly parts inventories were also in transition so this become a huge problem of not having the parts they needed to repair the tanks when they needed repaired Parts supplies were always somewhere between this unit in Europe and that unit back in the continental United States. Wow. Two critical problems encountered with the M48A3 tanks were with its secondary weaponry, the M73 7.62mm coaxial machine gun and the mounting of the M2HB 50 caliber machine gun and the M1 cupola. The M73 coaxial machine gun didn't work well. The solenoid needed constant replacement. The barrels burned out too quickly, and it was mechanically unreliable. All parts were in short supply because of that. And that's on the 7.62? Yeah, that was on the 7.62 coaxial machine guns. What was wrong with the Browning? The superb M2 Browning, mounted as it was on its side in the cupola, was virtually useless. The Vietnam combat necessitated quick, easy access to the weapon, and the capability for fast ammunition resupply, neither of which was possible with this configuration. So they're not saying the 50 cal browning was bad. They're just saying it was in a bad spot. for The the, placement on the side of the cupola was in a bad place. Because I was about to get upset. Yeah, no, no, no. Hopefully hopefully we explained that good enough for you. Thank you. Charlie, to... I appreciate it. To reassure you that the... Don't make fun of the browning. pretty good. Yeah. Most cruising units uh, subsequently mounted one or even two M2s externally on pedestals welded to the turret in front of the tank Tank commander and loader's hatches. So by just moving them around a little bit, it it helped them out. Nice. The M73 problems were never fully solved except for carrying an average of three spare barrels per tank and firing the thing manually. Uh, Despite these shortcomings and difficulties... And thanks to the resourcefulness and creativities of the tankers, the M48A3 proved well-suited to its role as a protector, forced entry tool, jungle buster, and absolute terror to the enemy. So they're carrying around three barrels because the barrels would get too hot and start to melt. Yeah, the Of course, we're talking about out in the middle of the jungle. It's super hot anyway because yep. you see all the pictures. 
the troops have their flag jackets on, but no shirts. But we've actually got, you know, we were looking at that and we we're like, nobody's wearing shirts, but everybody's got their flag jackets on. Uh, it must have been hot. Very, very hot and humid conditions, I would imagine. What are some of the missions that tanks took? During the Vietnam War, the tanks took on a lot of different unique types of missions. Uh, none of the tankers would have ever conceived utilizing a tank platoon to climb a heavily jungled mountain, provide artillery support, cut roads where none existed, and search for submarines even, or provide ambulance service. They took on a lot of different missions when they were over there. These were but a few of the actual mission requirements given to the 169th Armor. Uh, versatility, diversity, endurance, and expediency became the tanker's creed. Mission demands increased and changed daily and sometimes even hourly. So, you know, the big shots are saying, hey, I need a road through here. Get a tank to cut one. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Well, the primary mission of Company A uh, was a heavy reaction assault force. There were other very unusual missions performed by the tankers, not at the least of which included a submarine watch. Uh, a watch for submarine or boat activity in the Dam Trio Lake area on the South China Sea coast. Several reports came in to the Division G2 shop in- indicating that the VC were moving men and supplies to area VC forces via seagoing vessels, particularly submarines of unknown origin. The submarine factor actually generated surprise. Um, they didn't spot any submarines but did sink a, a junk boat loaded with ammo, rifle stocks, and medical supplies, which washed up on the beach. So these junk uh, junk boats, I think they actually call them junkers. And uh, so it's going that, through there, and they fire at it, hit it, and it comes, comes up with a bunch of North Vietnamese uh, ammo and rifles and everything And else. supplies, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So tank versus submarine warfare. <laughs> yeah. All right. No submarines were actually located, but hey, we'll keep an eye out for them. A uh, similar offbeat mission uh, found this, actually found them 169th attempting to dig an unknown number of VC out of a series of caves formed in coral outcroppings along the coast. Fired every type of available ammunition directly into the cave openings for nearly a week yet continued to receive heavy return fire. The solution to this particular problem came with the pumping of raw napalm from 55-gallon drums via hand pumps directly into natural vents in the coral above the caves. A WP round, or white phosphorus round, ended the standoff with an earth-shaking blast and accompanying fire. Ammunition hidden in the caves cooked off for more than a day, and upon inspection, nearly 30 North Vietnamese were found dead inside the caves. So they, on this lake area, or the Coral Sea, or is China Sea? Yeah, China Sea. They they dug holes and trenches and caves into this stuff and were shooting at these tanks. So they ran up there and they pumped napalm down the natural vents and then lit it up with white phosphorus. Yeah. Wow, that had to be that, a big. That, that, that there, that definitely took care of that. Napalm that and white force for North white Vietnamese. Yeah. yeah, that was crazy. Now again, I'd like to point out at this point, uh, we do have listeners in Vietnam. Uh, we are not saying that these 
were evil soldiers or anything like this. Uh, the North Vietnamese and the Vietnamese were out there fighting for what they believed in. And, uh, you know, for these guys to start shooting at American tanks with no tank support or anything else, you know, that's pretty brave. Yeah, that is true. So, uh, but I, I do have a kind of a request from our Vietnamese or Southeast Asia uh, listeners. If you know anything about these submarines that actually were going there, or you got pictures of these submarines, like Grandpa or, you know, somebody took pictures or, or actually was on one of these submarines that were sneaking through, please send us that. We would love <laughs> to have that info. Well, Russ, uh, tell us about the tank battles. Yeah. Believe it or not, there was only mainly one tank-on-tank battle um, that I was able to come up with. And we'll kind of start off and talk about it a little bit here. Ben Het was situated with an airstrip on a barren mountaintop in the central highlands and was the westernmost of, of the camps. It was strategically important because it was located seven miles east of the point where Laos, Cambodia, and South Vietnam conjoined. So basically it was kind of like an airfield. Ben Het was manned by a 12-man special forces, A-team, and some 200 tribesmen forming a Civilian Irregular Defense Group, or a CIDG, along with their families. In late February and early March, the camp placed anti-tank mines on the roads surrounding the camp in preparation for the North Vietnamese armor. On March 3rd, the NVA was given the task of destroying the camp's 175mm self-propelled guns. So the North Vietnamese, they were actually tasked with destroying the 175mm self-propelled guns that were in this Ben Het camp. The North Vietnamese launched almost 650 rounds of artillery on the camp. A North Vietnamese battalion from the 66th NVA Regiment, supported by six PT-76 tanks, launched an attack on the west side of the base. On March 3, 1969, Ben Het was attacked by the North Vietnamese 66th Regiment, supported by armor vehicles of the 4th Battalion 202nd Armored Regiment. One of the attacking PT-76s detonated the landmine, which alerted the camp and lit up the other PT-76s attacking the base. Flares were sent up, exposing the attacking tanks, but by sighting in on the muzzle flashes, one PT-76 scored a direct hit on the turret of an M48 Patton of the 1st Battalion 69th Armor Regiment, killing two crewmen and wounding the other two in this particular tank. The M48s responded with their 90mm guns, destroying two PT-76s and two BTR-50 personnel carriers. Several other enemy vehicles were damaged but managed to limp back across the border. Though considered to be a minor skirmish in the greater scheme of things, this was to be the only tank-to-tank battle between the North Vietnamese and the United States tanks of the war. Well, hello, Lightning. Rustling Well, what's going on? Uh, good Lord, cat. Yeah, she's all over me. She is. Here. I told you she's a lap cat. She's needing attention so bad. That's what the problem is. I know it's not that she needs food because I filled that here a little bit ago. So, uh, seriously, this is one of the longest cats oh, that I I've know. ever met in my life. I know. You know, like I say, it's the best twenty bucks you ever spent. It is rescuing this yeah thing. I need to get a picture of her all 
sprawled out to actually show the folks out there how long she is. But one of these days, I'd like to do a charity uh, podcast and uh, donate the money to the Southeast or Southeast Kansas uh, Humane Society. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. That would be neat. Get this some was folks a pretty in, yeah. interesting episode. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Just don't forget to contact us with any of your concerns, comments, or any ideas for future podcasts. All comments, any ideas are welcome all the time. That's why our contact information is on our website. It's on our Podbean website. Our podcast is now available on all the major platforms. And also, I would like to mention that if you do have a favorite platform that you listen to your podcasts in that's not included, or any app that you listen to your podcast in, we do have an RSS feed. Um, That link can be found on our new website also, the www.twotankersandcat.com. So if you want to actually set up your own app to, to get access to our podcast, you can do that with our RSS address. Um, like we've said before, the easiest way to contact us is on our Facebook page and that can be found and linked on our website also. Now, the big thing is we hope you're enjoying our podcast. We are always looking for ways to improve it. Absolutely. Uh, but again, informative and great broadcast today. Um, until next time, this is Charlie and this is Russell. Happy tanking. And we hope you all have a great week.